It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Shopify presents Cool Sheets from AHA to Lying awake while you bake isn't cool. I suffered from the wrong kind of hot in bed, heat-induced insomnia. That was my aha moment. Bed sheets that keep you cool. Then I thought, how do I even sell bed sheets? That's when I had the idea that made it all possible. Signing up on Shopify. With the help of Shopify's intuitive online store creator, I started selling sustainable bamboo sheets that keep cool year-round. And my cool idea became a reality. Hot sleepers around the world rejoice. Shopify makes it simple to keep your cool while starting and growing your business. Start selling with Shopify today and join the commerce platform powering millions of businesses worldwide. From aha to anything is possible. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up. So we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic podcast, the NFL schedule has added more regular season games over the years, but the best part are the stories behind those games. You're Behind the Mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, you know what day it is. It's Tuesday, me and my squeaky chair and my papers. We are back. I have my notes. I'm ready to go. NFL historians, this is not for you. This is for those who don't know as much. So we are here to enlighten. But please correct me if I am wrong. I'm always here to learn. Behind the Mic podcast, focus on NFL history. Billy Up Sports, Billy Up Sports podcast network. BillyUpSports.com. Check it out. Nice, clean looking uh, website. Love it. You can find all of our podcasts, the many shows that are on the Belly Up Sports Network on Spreaker as well as on that website. My show, you can find on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and pretty much most of the major podcasting networks, the podcasting hosts, that is. So let's go. We ready. The NFL has just dropped the new schedule, meaning what? All right, so we went from 16 games to 17 games. We know that they're going to go to 18 games eventually. That's the whole point. That's what they're going to do. But what does it mean? What does it mean? That means what? Matchups. It means players or coaches facing off against their former teams, not just 
Kansas City playing against the the Ravens. It's not just Cleveland playing against the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's not just Cowboys and Giants, even though that game may not be that great. But it's a rivalry game that people enjoy watching. Not just that. It just it means those matchups against those former players, the storylines behind them. What happened the year before? Playoff rematches, Super Bowl rematches, as well as regular season rematches. We have draft picks that we want to watch. All of those things. That's what goes into the schedule. Now, I did watch a long video, and I need to rewatch it, um, that they talked about on NFL Network about how they actually put together the schedule. It is a very complicated system that I'm not going to explain on this show, but even with the complexity of those numbers that they put into a computer and they spit out the schedule the way that it should go, the two home and two away games, the the intergalactic, uh, intergalactic, the interconference play, all of those things go into the schedule. But also what goes into the schedule are storylines. That's what makes games interesting to watch. We want to see revenge games. We want to see how a rookie is going to do against a, a certain team or a defense or how a defender is going to do against this left tackle or whatnot. It's a good pass rusher, right? We want to see the rookie head coach go in and see how he changes things around. This guy's supposed to be a defensive specialist. So this guy is supposed to be great with quarterbacks. We want to see those things. At the end of the show, I'm going to give you my top three of matchups that I saw just throughout history. One of them I didn't personally see. But after I learned about it and actually watched myself, that was one. It went into my top three. Now I have more games and we'll get to that later. But before, we're going to go into a brief history of how the NFL regular season scheduling happened. How did we get to this point of 17 games? It wasn't always like that. Here we go. So in the 1920s, might as well say 1920. There was no set schedule. It was anywhere from 8 to 16 games that were played, not just against other professional teams, but college teams as well as amateur teams, travel teams, right? In 1926 to 46, they played anywhere from 11 to 14 games. Just by chance, right? But in 47 to 1960, it upped to 12 games on a regular basis. Then the AFL came into play. They started league play in 1960. Another upstart league that I guess the NFL and other fans thought it'll be here and then it'll be gone like all the other past leagues that lasted a year or two years or four years, four or five years, and then they were gone. Not this one. The AFL had a set standard of 14 games in 15 weeks, introducing the bye week. So you got a week of rest. It started off with eight teams. If you don't know those original AFL teams, here they go. The Boston Patriots, the Buffalo Bills, the Houston Oilers, the New York Titans turned New York Jets, the Dallas Texans turned Kansas City Chiefs, the Denver Broncos, the LA slash San Diego Chargers, and the Oakland Raiders. In 1966, the Miami Dolphins came into the fold. 
And then in 68, you brought in the Cincinnati Bengals, pretty much the AFC East and the AFC West as we know it today. Well, the NFL saw these 14 games played in 15 weeks and said, ah, we're gonna take a bite out of their sandwich. And they did exactly that. In 61, they went to 14 games. And this remained in place all the way through the merger in 1970. So from 1961 to 1977, teams played 14 games in professional football. Now, during those odd years, like I said, the Miami Dolphins, they came in in 1966, and there was an odd number of teams. Well, that one team was going to be idle every week. So that's how they did it. Then came along 1978. I just wanted to throw this in here, even though it didn't have much to do about the schedule, but here we go. 1977, 78, excuse me, brought about some changes, rule changes that were really, really important to the league when it comes to passing. It opened up the passing game, period. And to further go into this, I'm gonna go all the way back to 1932. The Chicago Bears played against the Portsmouth Spartans in a championship game, which wasn't the official first championship game, but they defeated them nine to nothing when uh, Red Grange threw a touchdown pass to Bronco Nagurski. Nine nothing win, there was a big you know, stink about the five yard rule. The five yard rule then was you have to be five yards behind the line of scrimmage in order to even attempt to pass. Grange faked like he was gonna run and pulled a team, a Tim Tebow and threw a jump pass that was pretty much the deciding points in that game. By the way, that was also the first indoor game in NFL history. It wasn't in the Houston Astrodome. This was played in Chicago Stadium. Anybody Blackhawks fans out there, um, Bill, uh, Bulls fans, Chicago Bulls fans, this was the first place that an indoor football game was played. Well, like I said, the Portsmouth Spartans coaches, they were not happy about the results of that game. It stood, nothing changed. But in the next year, in 1933, which happened to be the first actual NFL championship game on record, they changed the rules where you could throw the football from behind the line of scrimmage anywhere, period. Fast forward to 1978. That's where the five-yard rule was introduced. Defensive backs used to be able to smack you upside the head and in the forehead, hold you, and rough you up, up and down the field. Now, after five yards, you have to leave them alone. That was rule number one. The other one that was big was offensive linemen's blocking. They were able to extend their arms and open the palms of their hands to help them to pass block instead of doing the chicken wing block. If you don't know, if you're too young to understand what a chicken wing block was, put ball your fist up and flap like a chicken. Flap your elbows like a chicken. That's how they used to block. It is funny, going back, I was looking at some numbers last week sometime on sacks, and you had people like, players like Deacon Jones and others who said that they had as many as 25 sacks in a season before they took sack numbers. They didn't take sack numbers until 1981. So who knows exactly how many sacks some of these old heads had. I know what it was. I was looking in one of my history books. And I'm like, okay, that's why you had that many sacks because if you're blocking and I, you can't touch me and you have to keep your elbows out like that, there's no way. Not a chance in Hades. Anyway, that was a big rule change. 
but also the league went to 16 regular season games in 16 weeks though no bye week including four preseason games now this lasted all the way through 1989 in 1990 they reintroduced the bye week it's back 16 games in 17 weeks in 93 they gave an extra bye week in there 18 weeks to what we knew all the way up until the 2020 season now we have 17 games in 18 weeks so go figure and i had a question about what the feeling was because thinking about what the league was now of course most of the players that are stars they didn't want a 17th game you talk about and this isn't opinionated this is fact i mean if the nfl is talking about protecting their players and not wanting to see anybody hurt well why you keep adding games obviously it's money you take one on the front end a preseason game and just make it matter on the back end that's basically all they did so my resident former nfl player ken johnson who played defensive end for the buffalo bills he was drafted after joe montana in 1979 a year before he got there i asked him today as a matter of fact because i want to know were there any kind of complaints because of the new schedule because they added two more games not just one two and you had no bye weeks he said there were concerns about injuries. There were, because you have to understand the league isn't as flag foot, footballish as it, you know, it was not flag footballish as, as it is now. Can you get hit now? Of course you can. But there's a lot of protection for, off, for offensive players. But you're getting beat up the way that they were getting beat up, and you added two more games. The problem was he said that the, the money didn't change. The money stayed the same, unlike now. So go figure. But when you look at that, you look at the way that all of these games are put together. That's great for seeing the way that the games came together and the little brief history of how the schedule came to be. Again, it's about the setup, which are ratings, which means what makes a game interesting. Storylines. Like I said, players versus former teams, coaches versus former teams, playoff or Super Bowl rematches or great games that were in the regular season. All right, so you have to look at what happened in the 2021 schedule as opposed to uh, and matching that up with what happened last year. It's not rocket science. Week one, just a couple of examples. Dallas, they go to Tampa Bay. The Super Bowl champ is hosting the first game of the season. All 22 starters and Tom Brady is back. Dak is back for Dallas. Interesting. Cleveland, Kansas City. We know what happened in that playoff game. Patrick Mahomes got knocked silly. I still don't understand how. And he ended up out of the game. Cleveland had a chance to come back. They didn't. They lose the game after beating up on my Pittsburgh Steelers the week before. Kansas City ends up going to the Super Bowl eventually. Buffalo at Pittsburgh. That was a, uh, a game I'd rather forget that the Bills actually showed just how great that they were. Not exactly Super Bowl ready yet, but that's going to be a good matchup. Now Buffalo is going to Pittsburgh as opposed to Pittsburgh catching the beats in Buffalo. And you have the other examples. The former quarterback, the former first-round pick, Sam Darnold, the new quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. He's going to visit New York. And the guy that replaced him, that they selected second, in the first round 
Zach Wilson from BYU. Nobody's going to, like I said, not watch Kansas City and Baltimore in week two. Week four, more along the lines of um, one of my top three. Tampa Bay is heading into New England. Brady versus Belichick. And that's the way it's going to be. We know that. That's that's a story that everybody wants to see. I say most people want to see. 99% of football fans want to watch that game, even though they know that New England probably isn't that great. Well, then there's other games, say like new coaches with their new teams and first-round draft picks and picks that were first in the draft, one that got hurt and one that just got here, Jacksonville at Cincinnati. It's a college football playoff rematch. Trevor Lawrence and the Clemson Tigers, they got the beats by LSU in that college football playoff. Hey, I will watch that game. Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow. And not only that, going back to Ohio, Urban Meyer, who's from Ohio, went to the University of Cincinnati and was the Ohio State head coach for some years. That's good. That's good TV. Week seven, Detroit at the L.A. Rams. Yes, it's all about the quarterback, unfortunately. And this is just interesting. Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford switch teams. That same week, Houston goes to Arizona. J.J. Watt and D-Hop, they were one-time Texans. That's the team that drafted them. I'm not paying as much attention to David Johnson being the Houston Texans running back, but it's still going to be interesting. Is it must-watch? It'll be interesting. And we'll see if um, the quarterback is going to end up being able to play. We'll see if Deshaun Watson will even be active this season, by the way. And then you have the Week 8 matchup, 49ers at the Bears. Jimmy G versus Andy Dalton. Or will it be Trey Lance versus Justin Fields? Uh, We don't know. We don't know. I mean, anyway, it'll be interesting, right? Week 9, you have Green Bay going into Kansas City. That was the State Farm Super Bowl that we were waiting for. We were waiting on that one, and it didn't happen because Aaron Rodgers didn't run the football. Anyway, I'm glad about the outcome of the Super Bowl. No hate there at all. Um, Aaron Rodgers and the other fellow man with khakis and red shirt, Patrick Mahomes. So will we see that? I believe we will. Aaron Rodgers, I think he's just messing with the Packers. Week 10, maybe not so much Atlanta at Dallas, but we know Atlanta jacked that game. Storylines, right? Stuff that you'll see in between commercials and stuff, right? The Tennessee Titans, they go visit Pittsburgh. Last year, Pittsburgh paid a visit down here to Nashville, had a big lead, almost lost it due to a missed field goal that would have tied the game. Not only that, the Titans whisked away Bud Dupree from the Pittsburgh Steelers as a free agent. How about that? Week 16, Jags at Jets. Number one pick, Trevor Lawrence. Number two pick, Zach Wilson. Monday Night Football, Cleveland at Pittsburgh. Will Cleveland be able to beat Pittsburgh again, or will Pittsburgh be able to avenge their 28 to nothing? That was just in the first quarter, by the way. Their 28 to to nothing first quarter against the Cleveland Browns who won their first playoff game in years. Yeah, those are the kind of things we look for. Will Jameis Winston win the starting job with the New Orleans Saints or will it be Taysom Hill? 
And when the Saints travel to Tampa Bay, will Jameis be the quarterback? You know, and then there's those historical highlights that you see in between commercials when they come back, welcome back. Well, uh, X amount of years today, the immaculate reception, the Pittsburgh Steelers won their first playoff game in their organization's history against the Raiders. Now, the Las Vegas Raiders are going to Pittsburgh. And that just happened to be the spot where the immaculate reception happened. Well, it was Three Rivers Stadium, not Heinz Field. Washington at the Buffalo Bills, a rematch of Super Bowl 26. Speaking of Super Bowl 26, I got a buddy. Uh, I'll call her name, my girl, Nitra McVeigh. She ended up with an uh, autographed football from Super Bowl 26. Had no idea. She knew that it had to be worth something. And this office gave it to her. It was great. And most of the Washington football team, out of respect, they signed that football. That's a great keepsake or a great, you know, collectible. That's pretty good. But you think they may or may not show some highlights from Super Bowl 26. Mark Rippon throwing a touchdown pass, you know, or Jim Kelly being helped up after getting knocked silly. Green Bay at San Francisco. Remember the catch part two when T.O. caught that touchdown? I know they've done it before back in 98. Pittsburgh at Green Bay. A game I'd rather forget. The 40 Super Bowl 45 rematch from Dallas. And Aaron Rodgers' first and only Super Bowl win and MVP that year. I mean, those are the things that you look for. Rams fans, Titans fans, you know what happened one yard short in the Super Bowl some years ago. Uh, Kevin Dyson. We'll probably mention him later on in the show, too, by the way. These are the matchups, you know, going forward. Just going forward, I mean, and I think it's really, really cool. And you have to know that there's some historical significance to each one of these games. And on top of that, you know, you're going to see those highlights. They're going to talk about it or mention it in between snaps. And, you know, while the quarterback is uh, throwing a pass or and they pick up a first down and then they're going to mention this. And they may show some highlights from something that they, they mentioned the moment before. How about January 2nd? The New York Giants at the Chicago Bears. I don't think any of y'all remember this, but I'll go ahead and put it out there. The sneakers game that occurred on December 9th, 1934. That was the second official NFL championship, by the way. Want to know about it? Here it goes. It was a game played at the Polo Grounds in New York City. The Bears coming in 13-0 on an 18-game winning streak. The Chicago Bears had a 10-3 lead in that game. So what happened at halftime? The Giants, and I don't know if they really were, but the Giants went in at halftime. They changed into some basketball shoes. They changed into some Chuck Taylors. They put on some Chucks, and in the second half, they outscored the Bears for a 30-13 win. In the fourth quarter, they went 27 to nothing. 27 to Jack. And they won that game, the sneakers game. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I like stuff like that. So um, these are storylines that the NFL schedule, they have to, they think about those things. Producers, television people, they think about those things. What's going to bring the most eyes to the television? Now, it may not be the sneakers game. It'll probably be a nice little footnote and they'll show those frozen photos, black and white photos. But, I mean, it's pretty interesting, and I would love to have seen 
that actual footage just to see what happened in that second half. They got on sneakers. They got on basketball shoes. Coming up next, I'm going to give you my top three memorable games and their backstories. All right, we're back. We're back. We're back. We're back. So we've been talking about storylines. We've been talking about the things that make us really, really watch a game. And it's this guy versus that guy. And these players, you know, on this team versus, you know what I mean? It's the stories behind that really get me. And I told you, that's what got me into just history. It's the stories. It's the stories. It's all about the stories. It's not just the games, but then it brings back to mind memories of things that happened in the past. And these three that I'm about to give you now. With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this. But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet. Here's to the great American settlers. The millions of you who settled for unsatisfying jobs because they pay the bills. Of course, there is something else you could do if you got something to say. Start a podcast with Spreaker from iHeart and unleash your creative freedom. Maybe even earn enough money to one day tell your old boss, Hey, I'm no settler. I'm an explorer. Spreaker.com. S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. Hustle on over today are the ones that stick out the most for me personally. I could give you a lot of examples. I wrote down a lot of stuff. I wrote down the catch. I wrote down the ice bowl, which I never did see. The catch, that's Montana to Clark. And even in that game, um, I can't remember, I think it was Harvey Martin that said to Joe Montana when he knocked Montana down after throwing that touchdown pass to Dwight Clark to win that game, uh, he said, you just beat America's team. Joe said, well, you can sit down with the rest of America and watch the Super Bowl. Ugh, you can't come back from that. And the defense did have to come back out after that catch. That wasn't the end of the game, by the way. The Ice Bowl, the, uh, the 13 below zero game between the Green Bay Packers and the, uh, the Dallas Cowboys. The 1958 NFL Championship, Colts, Giants, the drive. You know, Cleveland Brown fans don't like that at all, but Bronco fans love it <laughs> to drive one and two. They really hate part two. Ernest Byron is on his way into the end zone, and he fumbles it right at the one, right there at the goal line. How about that? So, yeah, I got a lot of examples, but these three are the ones that I like the most. Kick the music. All right, so a two-time All-American at Marshall, Randy Moss. Now, we, if you watched or know anything about his background, he had a trouble pass. Should have went to either Florida State or Notre Dame as a wide receiver coming out of high school. Had some issues. He'll tell you that right now. And he's doing great now. I'm so proud of Randy Moss. It took some time for him to grow up, and he did it. But it cost him a, a, a spot in a legitimate D1, a big-time D1 school, especially like Florida State. Could you imagine Randy Moss running those deep routes with Florida State? Can you imagine that? I mean, I, I can. So, then came the 1998 NFL Draft. 
and the Dallas Cowboys were one of his favorite teams. They had the eighth pick in the draft, all right? So teams like Dallas, as well as the Chicago Bears, the New Orleans Saints, and even the Green Bay Packers, they passed on him. Oh, it's like that. Yeah, it's like that. He fell still in the first round to 21st overall. The Minnesota Vikings made him their selection, joining the likes of Chris Carter and also Jake Reed and quarterback Randall Cunningham. We know the magical season that they had that ended prematurely because the guy that made field goals all year long until he missed that one, they should have been playing the Broncos in that Super Bowl and not the Atlanta Falcons. Anyway, so this is the day of the draft. They pick him. These other teams, they decide they're not going to go with Randy. Um, Dallas instead goes with Greg Ellis. Eh, all right, defensive end. Chicago goes with Curtis Enos, out, the running back out of Penn State. Eh, Could have done better. The New Orleans Saints, they go with Kyle Turley. He was pretty decent, pretty decent. And Green Bay, all right, so Green Bay, Buzz Cook, who was Moss's agent, also famously, if I heard Buzz Cook, I thought Brett Favre. And he was Brett Favre's agent as well. Packers said, nah, we're good. Who would they pick? I think his name, Vinny Holiday, another defensive end. Er, well, you know, your loss, your loss. Uh, not only did Randy, and I did not look up numbers against all these other teams, but we just know that the dude cooked every, just about everybody that he played against. But he was especially good against the Dallas Cowboys. Hmm. Y'all already know where I'm going. I looked up a website. I was just going to go straight to the obvious, but I looked up, a, I saw, I came across a website on Fansided. The Viking, was this, thevikingage.com, an article written by Adam Patrick. He gave basically his top five performances against the Dallas Cowboys. And he played against the Cowboys six times. So all five of these, they want, Minnesota won the games. Number five, 2004 in the first week of the season. Only four catches, but he caught two touchdowns in a 35-7 romp. Hmm. 1999, six catches. Six catches for 91 yards, two touchdowns, and another big win, 27-17. 1999, later on that year, playoff time, right? This is number three. He had five catches for 127 yards and another touchdown, 27-10. Getting Dallas up out of the playoffs again. Now the favorite two. I think y'all know what number one is. Number two, though, both of these came on the same day. We like Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving means two things to me. It means food and football. And I'll never forget watching either one of these games. In 2000, he caught seven passes for a buck 44 and two touchdowns. 27-15 win, going away. Number one moment and the one, the reason why I picked this, because it was fresh on everybody's mind, the dude only caught three passes. Only three for 163 yards and all three of his catches were touchdowns. I posted on social media, on IG, Twitter, and I believe on Facebook as well. Of course, I heard back from my Cowboy fan uh, fan friends, and they all had basically the same thing to say. Do you have to post that? You see him turn to the camera 
with his stats at the bottom after that third touchdown saying, happy Thanksgiving. Wow. And he finished that season, that rookie year, only 69 catches, had 1,313 yards, and still a record to this day, a rookie record, 17 touchdowns. So, you know, the four-time All-Pro, 14 years, six Pro Bowls, 15,292 yards, 156 touchdowns later, a Pro Football Hall of Famer. I love this old Geico commercial. It said, we all do dumb things. Don't let passing up a future Hall of Fame wide receiver be one of them. Ah, pow. All right, number two. I ain't got that, you know, that stuff like ESPN or something like that. Number, I didn't do number three. Now this one, number two. All right, the AFL and the NFL. Remember the AFL when they came in in 1960 was looked at, you know, looked down upon by the NFL. The NFL was up here. AFL was pretty much to, to, to the eyes of many, just a startup league that wouldn't last long, right? Well, we know that there was pressure if you know anything about the history of the first Super Bowl, there was pressure for the NFL to prove a point. They beat up Green Bay, the first two Super Bowls. They beat up on Kansas City, 35 to 10. They beat up on the Oakland Raiders in Super Bowl II. But then came 1968, 1968, Super Bowl three. The Baltimore Colts, they were uh, starting to be the best, well, put it like this. They were supposed to be the best play, uh, best, best team Ever. They were supposed to be the best team ever. They were 15 and 1. And the New York Jets in the AFL, they came into the game in Miami 13 and 3. And they were 17 or 18 point underdogs in that game. Baltimore had the NFL's MVP, Earl Morrill. He was the starting quarterback. We'll get to that later. How did he end up being the starting quarterback of the Baltimore Colts? And Joe Namath was the AFL's MVP. Of course, we know about the guarantee because he was tired of hearing about the Colts, blah, 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 yakety smackety, blah, blah. Look, I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to win the game. I guarantee it. And they won 16 to 7. They scored that last touchdown, I think, somewhere deep in the, in the fourth quarter. And it was a 16-7 win. It never really was a game. Morrill throws, what, three interceptions? Some people think he was. Never mind. <laughs> uh, uh, they won. They won the game. They won the game going away. And in 1969, though, they missed the playoffs completely. They were eight five and one. Now keep this in mind: Don Shula, yes, the Miami Dolphins' legendary coach. He was the coach for the Baltimore Colts back then. He was what 33 when he got the job, right? And after the 1969 season. Well, Carol Blow, uh, Rosenblum, who was the, the, I think he was like the owner. He was the owner of the, the principal owner, matter of fact, for the Baltimore Colts. And he said in a, in a, at a party uh, or, or in some setting, he said that I've already fired one coach that won me two world championships. And I'm not far from firing another. And I'm paraphrasing. I'll fire another. So that was directed at Shula. Well, after the 69 season again, Shula was sought after by those Miami Dolphins. Of course, we know he took the job, but it's how he took the job. And as the story goes, 
Carol Rosenblum was away or out of town or something like that. His son Steve basically gave the green light for the Miami Dolphins to pick up Don Shula as their head coach. Carol, the dad, comes back and said, no, 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 no. That is not what I want to do. And he does not have the authority to do that. Well, they couldn't necessarily fix it because Shula was gone and signed away. Well, do y'all remember the Roselle rule where two teams that they can't come to an agreement on something? Well, Pete Roselle, the commissioner, stepped in and gave the Baltimore Colts the Miami Dolphins first round pick. Go figure. Then the 1970 merger happens. All right. And the Baltimore Colts are a different team. They're not the same 68 Colts. Okay, Oral Morrow is back on the bench. Johnny Yu is back as the starting quarterback, but they're still not the exact same team. They're not the same dominant team. They're a good team, but they're not that great team that they were in 1968. Fast forward to week five, one of those rematches that everybody was looking forward to. Now, just like the Baltimore Colts were not the same team, although they came into that game three and one, the New York Jets were their opponent. They were not the New York Jets of 68. They were one and three coming into that game. So what was the result of that game? Joe Namath, who finished his career throwing more interceptions than touchdowns, Joe Namath threw six picks in that game, including two pick sixes. Baltimore won the game 29 to 22. Yes, it looked closer than it actually was, but at the same time, Johnny Unitas was not that great either. He threw three picks, but they got the win. Baltimore only scored one touchdown on a drive, but they got the win. They kicked three field goals. Now, as an added bonus, going back to that 68 Super Bowl team, right? Who was their head coach? Weeb Bank. Who was that coach that Carol Rosenblum was referring to that he fired because he missed the playoffs a year? Weeb Bank. Eubank was the head coach for the Baltimore Colts when they won the championships in 58 and 59. Go figure. And then he turns around and beats Carol Rosenblum's upset of the century with his New York Jets, the first AFL win over an NFL team in a championship game setting. And he won it. Hall of Fame coach, by the way. Not bad. Not bad. And here's the other thing. Like I said, Don Shula, he left to go for go to coach the Miami Dolphins, right? Then comes week seven. His Dolphins go into Memorial Stadium to play the Baltimore Colts that 1970 season, a couple weeks after they beat the Jets. And Baltimore handed it to Miami, 35 to nothing. This is before the, the short little, I don't even want to call Miami a dynasty, but before their, their you know Super Bowl run really kicked in. They went to three straight, right? Super Bowl six, seven, and eight. Maybe we'll talk about that another time. But again, that's not too bad, Carol Rosenblum. You had two Hall of Fame coaches. All right, here's the top one. Number one, Joe Montana. Hall of Fame quarterback, four-time Super Bowl winner, three-time Super Bowl MVP, two-time league MVP, eight-time Pro Bowler, all NFL three times, team records, postseason records, Regular season records, NFL records. In 1990, the 49ers, they had just come off of winning. Uh, they beat the brakes. Okay, so let's go back. 1989, 
1988, they were, uh, you know, they won against the Bengals in that comeback 20 to 16. Then the next year, they put up still a Super Bowl record to this day, 55 to 10 win, 55 points a record still in the Super Bowl, beating down John Elway and the Denver Broncos in New Orleans. So they're going for the three-peat. They were saying it on the sideline, three-peat, three-peat, let's go for the three-peat. All right, so you had your chance. 1990, they were 14 and two. January 20th, 1991, the New York Giants come to town in the NFC Championship game for the right to go to, to Temple, Florida, to play Super Bowl 25. Hmm, it's the fourth quarter. It is the fourth quarter. My then 49ers had a 13-9 lead, and they were clinging to it. You have to understand how good that, if you don't already, understand how good that Giants defense was. They had Lawrence Taylor, Carl Banks, Leonard Marshall, that gummit. Speaking of Leonard Marshall, in that fourth quarter, Joe, he's rolling out to his right. You can watch the game on YouTube. Just pull it up. 1990, uh, 1991 NFC Championship game. It's on there. Giants. 49ers he's rolling out to the right Marshall is blocked and he's on the ground gets up Joe scrambling stops is getting ready to throw before his arm goes completely forward he gets drilled in the back if you look at uh what is it America's game the Super Bowl the 1990 New York Giants Carl Banks said he thought that he killed him he hit him that hard it was a hard hit on that hit Bruce Thurnham broken bone in his throwing hand Joe Montana he was out of the game. That was it. Essentially, Marshall knocked him out of his 49ers uniform for good. But there's a little detail in there, but for good, pretty much. And after that, the 49ers had um, one more drive. And after a fake punt and then a Roger Craig fumble, that turned into two, uh, two full, uh, field goals. Excuse me. Matt Barr kicked two field goals on those back-to-back -back drives in the last one was for the, a 15 to 13 win. The 49ers shut them out of the end zone, but there you go. How about that? Now, Joe Montana misses all of the 1991 season. Why? For those who don't remember, he actually played in two preseason games in 1991. But during a practice before the third game, he tears tendons in his elbow in practice throwing a post route how about that so he missed all of 91 and then most of 92 steve young takes over he wins an mvp in 92 and wins another one in 94 in 1993 the 49ers trade him away to the kansas city chiefs for defensive back i still don't remember the guy at all david whitmore for a third for him and a third round pick they traded him away to get back a first-round pick from the Chiefs. Now, 93 was good for Joe Montana. 36 years old. And now, don't forget, Marcus Allen decided to join the Chiefs as well. That was cool. They went to the AFC Championship game. They lost to the Buffalo Bills, but the Buffalo Bills were a better team. And for Joe Montana to have taken that team with a pretty decent defense, an old and a kind of a, if you want to say it, New England kind of offense as far as their receivers. J.J. Burden and Willie Davis didn't exactly strike fear into the hearts of men. Uh, that was great. Then came 1994. How about this? Week two, San Francisco has to go visit who? 
Joe Montana and the Kansas City Chiefs at Arrowhead Stadium. The results, well, you have to understand that Steve Young was missing four of his five offensive linemen already in week two to injury. The Chiefs, they won the game, 24 to 17. Montana was pretty good in the game, 19 of 31, threw just over 200 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Steve Young, on the other hand, he was 24 of 34. Okay, he's, I mean, he had the better squad. At this point, he is like, I'll probably say he was probably the best quarterback in the league at this point. 288 yards, one touchdown, no picks. I mean, uh, no picks in the first in the first half, but in the second half, he throws two interceptions. He ends up losing a fumble, and he sacked four times, once for a safety. Eh, go figure. But hey, Joe Montana won that game. Won that game, and I was happy about it. I, I was. I'm not saying that I rooted against San Francisco, but I was rooting for Joe Montana. I was. As a former 49ers fan, I didn't understand. If y'all don't remember or listen before, I didn't understand free agency and stuff yet. And the funny part is, 93 is when all of that stuff started anyway. So go figure. Now, for San Francisco, in the end, everything worked out fine. They won uh, the Super Bowl that year. Steve Young wins his second MVP in 94. Um, and then on top of that, the 49 to 26 beatdown of the San Diego Chargers in Super Bowl 29. Young wins the MVP and he breaks Joe Montana's record of five touchdown passes, which he threw in Super Bowl 24 in that beatdown of Denver. He throws six. Uh, Steve Young throws six touchdowns. How about that? Kansas City, the end of that season, they did make the playoffs, but a 27-17 loss to Miami in the AFC, uh, AFC wildcard game. After that, Joe Montana retired. But not bad for two Hall of Famers. And here's a bonus. Here's a bonus as we get ready to wrap this show. Another great quarterback whose career changed because of an arm injury. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In 1968, we talked about those 68 Colts. How did Earl Morrill become the MVP, let alone become the starting how did he become the starting quarterback for the Colts after being on what I, I didn't even know that the guy had already played for like two maybe three teams before he even got to Baltimore god he got around he's like Ryan Fitzpatrick but he won an MVP in 68 well Johnny Unitas in the final preseason game against the Dallas Cowboys he was hit in the elbow and it tore all of his arm muscles and he didn't play the rest of the season until the fourth quarter of that Super Bowl, Super Bowl three, when they replaced Earl Morrill. Shula pulled him for Johnny Unitas. He led him to a touchdown drive. This is inside. Kirby, understand he led him to a touchdown drive, but that was a Tom Maddy, the running back for Baltimore at the time, a 58-yard touchdown run. He didn't throw two touchdowns or anything like that. Yeah, he just handed the football off and watched Tom Maddy run. 
His arm was shot at the time. He was trying to heal. And what is also ironic, later on in that 1970 season when Johnny Unitas got back, they beat, Baltimore beat Dallas in Super Bowl V, the ugliest Super Bowl ever, by the way. But they beat the Dallas Cowboys in Super Bowl V, and he was knocked out of that game. And guess who led them to that Super Bowl win? <laughs> Earl Morrow. <laughs> That's crazy. That is crazy. But here, fast forward to January of 1973, Johnny Unitas was traded to the San Diego Chargers, another former AFL team. Yikes. That's where he finished his career. Two years later, the Baltimore Colts hired a 23-year-old guy by the name of Bill Belichick as a special assistant coach in 1975 for 25 bucks a week. How about that? The guy who was the defensive coordinator for those Giants in that NFC championship game as he pretty much watched Joe Montana get knocked and the 49ers get knocked off the pedestal of a dynasty. They knocked the one dynasty out. Yeah, that, that was Bill Belichick's defense. How about that? Arm injuries. Storylines. It's great. All right, so that's the story, and I'm sticking to it. And I'm giving you the truth with cheese on it. Behind the Mic Podcast. Thanks for listening. Belly Up Sports. Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. BellyUpSports.com. Again, you can catch my show on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Amazon Music, Stitcher, Our Heart Radio. Tell your family, tell your friends, subscribe, like, listen, or I'll find your house out. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.